Hey there, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people doing cool stuff in e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. So I've decided to create a new series called Agency Side, Stories of Leaders Changing the Digital Landscape. It's a six-part weekly series where I sit down with agency owners and leaders to explore what it's like to build, grow, and navigate an agency through the complexities of a modern digital world. Kicking off the first episode, I sit down with Kelly Vaughan, the founder and CEO of The Tap Room, a specialist Shopify agency based in Atlanta, Georgia. We touch on Kelly's unconventional background, how the taproom started, her ethos for building teams, and the best piece of advice she'd give anybody starting their own agency journey. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Thanks so much for having me. I am doing great. I am sitting in my office at home in Atlanta, Georgia. Lovely. Um, it is a rather inclement, uh, gray afternoon here in London. So I hope that has nothing to do with the conversation that we're about to have. It is no way, in, in no way ominous about what we're, about what we're about to discuss. So this is a bit of a change attack for me. I, I'm kind of uh, going into this new series and it's all about agencies and, and, and kind of talking to founders of agency and, and seeing uh, what, what makes their world uh, tick. So I'm keen to just get straight into it. So the tap room, how did it start? What's the mission and where are you at? Yeah, so... I have to back up a fair bit to actually start the taproom story. So I taught myself how to code when I was 11 years old. I signed on my first freelance client when I was 14 years old. And I freelanced all through undergrad and grad school and just trying to pay for college because college is really expensive. And I had a uh, a fellowship with the, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and they wanted me to code. What was funny is that I have my master's degree in public health, and they were looking for somebody who has their master's in public health who also knows how to code. And this will probably come as no surprise, but I was the only applicant <laughs> because that was a really weird combination. And a of course, unique they told skill me this. set. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, it wasn't that I was the, I, I was the most qualified, but I was also the least qualified. So <laughs> you know, take it how you will. Um, but I started working with uh, Shopify stores in 2014. That actually came from a tweet from another freelancer who had too much work who was needed needing some uh, extra hands. And naturally, I reply, I replied to him, being like, "Help me, I'm poor. I'm, I want you know, I'm <laughs> more than happy to help you with this work." <laughs> And one of those projects ended up being a Shopify store. And that was kind of my first taste into getting into Shopify. And in like nine months after starting at CDC, my husband and I got married and I'm like, I want to do this full time. I don't want to, I don't want to work for somebody else. So I quit working for CDC, went full time as a freelancer as Kelly Bond Creative in September of 2015. And 
over the course of the next year or so, I'm like, yeah, this is great. I'm having a good time. And then I couldn't really sign on any larger clients because as a name like Kelly Vaughn Creative, it sounds like I'm a one-woman show, even though I had like subcontractors kind of helping me with the work because I, of course, did not do design. You do not want me to design your site. And through all of this, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like this is right for me. I don't feel like this is enough. And it took me about nine months. And in, uh, it would be October of 2017, I officially launched the rebrand from Kelly Von Creative to the tap room. So this month is actually going to be our third birthday. Wow. Okay. So the, so the company is a little bit older than the, 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 the years suggest, but you did that rebranding slight reposition around three years ago. Okay. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. So, you, you know, look on like the Shopify experts page, it says we've been an expert since 2014, even though the tap room has been around for three, for half of that. Right. So, so w- w- I suppose w- what does the tap room look like now? Like um, you, you've got, you've got a team around you. What does it look like? Who have you got on board? Yeah, so we are now a team of 13. So pretty, pretty quick growth there. Uh, We have five full time developers, a full time project manager, a full time BDR, and then everybody else. uh, I guess I'm full time as well. I'm full time and a half, I guess. And I'd say uh, you're more than I'd say you're double time, right? (laughs) Exactly. And then everybody else is a contractor. So, so while our team is made up of majority developers, we, we kind of run the gamut in terms of the skill set we're offering. So we have two contract designers. Uh, we have uh, somebody specializing, specializing in like the data part of things. So like migrating data, uh, adding content into themes, any that, anything that involves like a CMS or a spreadsheet. Yep. Um, and we have somebody who does social media and content as well. So uh, that's amazing. I, I'm keen to explore the team a little bit further. Now, of course, as with all podcasts, I do my research. And I, I have a quote from your Pursuit New York talk where you said, uh, once you've built the team, you need to build the buy-in. I'm keen to understand what you mean by this and how has it helped you at the tap room? Yeah. So when you are a freelancer, everything's dependent upon you and you are are the most invested person in your business because if you're not working, you're not getting paid, basically. As you grow a team on the like day one of hiring any kind of employee, you have to start working on building a company culture. And that's really where that buy-in comes in because you want your team to be as invested in the success of the business as you are. And part of that, a big, a big chunk of that is having a like a really solid company culture around mm-hmm. that so they they have something that they are they're getting excited about they like the work that they're doing but they're also feel like they're they're growing in their own careers as well i wonder so how do you hire for that because i always find this is an interesting question right or, or scenario because i agree i think you know the old adage culture eats strategy for breakfast certainly holds yeah. true in many instances like what, what, what's your approach there in terms of hiring? Did, did you build the culture or values first and then go out looking for those people? Did you let them come in and then start to define it and take it from there? I think it's really important that you are not the one who defines the culture, especially as your team comes. Obviously, there are things that are come up that will come up that you're like, no, this is absolutely unacceptable, you know, behavior wise. But my first employee, uh, she's been with us for a little over two years now and bringing her on helps help start to shape that culture. And I, it does help that uh, in terms of like the Myers-Briggs, we are the exact same <laughs> Myers-Briggs yep, type. Yep, yep. And we have a lot of the same mannerisms, the same way we communicate. 
Um, I'm more on the, the, the softer side of things. Cause I said, I have my master's in public health. I also have my master's in social work. So I have like the, the therapy side of things there as well. Wow. Whereas she is very much straight to the point in all business. And we were able to like balance each other out in that sense. And that kind of was the start of, of, of forming the structure of, of what our culture is, how you would define our culture. And as we bring on more team members, it's really important to have more team members interview the applicants because everyone has, you know, everyone has their own personality. Everyone has their own specific way of working, but it's seeing all of that as a whole and seeing how they mesh with various team members is really important. Yeah. It's really interesting. We're going through a, a big hiring um, spree at the moment. And I think what's fascinating is balancing that with not creating an echo chamber. And that's sure. a really hard thing to do, right? Because you define and build and you work on the culture and then you, you you hire people that embody that, or at least, you know, you're, you're quite confident that they will and they are bought into it, as you kind of mentioned. But then you've got to be a little bit careful that you're not just surrounding yourself with the same types of thinkers and, and, and which, which can be problematic in itself. So that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. And I mean, you make a really good point there. It's, it's really important to celebrate people's differences and celebrate different, like don't shut somebody down because they have a different way of thinking. And if every, as you said, if everyone thinks the same way, you're creating this echo chamber and it's important to have people to challenge you and to create an environment that allows people to feel comfortable to challenge you on, on various aspects of the business. Yeah, And it, that's, that's really part of again, going kind of going back to culture, everything goes back to culture. Um, that's, that's really an important part of it. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And I, and I want to talk, um, I think one of the look, the, the, the agency model is built on people and clients, right? That's, 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 that's how it works. And that's right. I think that the, that the client piece is always it's something that's constantly explored. And there's so much literature about it. And, and, I, and I think it is a fascinating area of this particular business model so again i've done my research and and i, I noticed in one of your blog posts you, you or the team describe the agency client relationship as coming together like peanut butter and jelly which i as a non-american but who have links there through family and i've lived in boston before and just generally being a person of the world feel is a fantastic combination what do you <laughs> think is the most important thing an agency can do to create this sort of environment with their clients it's important to have the agency be an extension of the client's team, as opposed to being a vendor. You're bringing, you know, as you, if, if this was an internal hire, you would hire for a specific set of expertise that you want them to actually play out in the day-to-day. -day. It should be the same exact thing when you're working with the clients. You are an extension of their team with a certain level of expertise in certain areas so they can focus on what they need to do, but, you know, obviously collaborating on the work that you're doing, but really, really being able to run with it and being the expert in, in, in actually using the expertise as opposed to being told what to do and then just doing it. So that's interesting. And, and would you agree then that I, I suppose it gets back to culture? There's parallels there potentially between who you hire and who you work with. Did, would you agree that you, you kind of want similarities between that and the clients? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a very collaborative environment at the tap room and we very much expect the same from our clients and we we've turned uh, leads away when it's very clear in our initial calls with them that they just want us to do what they tell us to do, even when it's not a good idea to, for them to be doing that. 
like when they won't listen to our expertise, there's no point in working with them. So that brings me on to a very important question. I think you've touched on it there. And I find this a fascinating concept. Do you think there's such a thing as an ideal client? <laughs> if so, how do you find them? That is a very good question. I think I feel like my ideal client changes from day to day, just depending on my own mood. <laughs> um, going back to collaboration, that's a really important thing. We are looking for a partnership as opposed to uh, being a vendor. Um, open communication, trusting us with the process and letting us do the work that we are best at doing without, you know, I understand that there are certain people in, the, in various companies that are going to have differing, differing opinions and not everything we recommend is actually going to come to fruition, but acknowledging our expertise and letting us run with it and trusting, trusting that we know what we're doing as opposed to having to run every little thing by the client. That's something that's really important to me. Um, not nickel and diming us. I think that's a pretty much an obvious one kind of across the board. Um, we are not the cheapest agency out there. And there's a reason for that with the level of expertise that we bring. And if you want a cheaper, uh, agency or you want to work with a freelancer, by all means, go do that. But understand that you're, you pay for, you know, you get what you pay for, as we all know. And if you're complaining about every little thing that we're charging for, that's obviously going to be an issue. So we look for somebody who has an understanding of, of how we charge and why we charge and everything else that I just mentioned. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Cause like, I think laying out those expectations, the cultural fit, um, how you work and ensuring the client are on board with that. I think we, it, 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 it's sometimes difficult for agencies and, and certainly people on the ground, which may or may not be, you know, at the, the level that, that you might be at, right? Like, so you're not at the cold face of these conversations to be, I suppose, quite assertive with clients and kind of really ask them and, and push them on what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, because I find, you know, a lot of the time it will be some sort of, I assume it's not a referral, right? It's an organic search of some description and there's some sort of inquiry and the, you know, that the client just want the answers really. And, and like that kind of pushback to really try and stress them on like, what are they looking for? Do they understand who the agency is? What do they know about the agency? What do they not know about the agency is, is super, super valuable. And that, that, that time there, that sort of front end of the engagement process i think is is super super important so how, how do you guys do that at the moment what's your kind of like keys to success at, at that but you know the very very uh, initial interaction point yeah so with our bdr she is going to be the first point of contact the one who is um reaching out to schedule a call we have a pretty lengthy new project application that we we send to new leads before like that that basically qualifies them out out the gate um if their budget is too low it sends them an auto rejection email because we need to save our time yep and i want to respect their time as well um but when we're on a call i'm i'm currently on a lot of the uh, a lot of the lead calls that come in. If it's a smaller project, I'm not going to be on it. I just let uh, our BDR run the show. Mm -hmm. But if it's going to be a larger pro uh, project, I I take that call. I'm the lead on it, and I feel like I've learned. You know, I I always thought that I in getting this these two master's degrees that I would use public health way more than social work. Obviously, having switched careers and going into running an agency. 
public health is not terribly useful, except I do like dropping it every now and then when we talk to a health and fitness brand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but social work has really, really proven to be extremely helpful in these conversations. Um, First thing you really need to be doing is establishing a rapport with the lead. They, you need to get them to trust you from, from the, out the gate. When it's a referral, a, a level of trust has already been established because somebody else is vouching for you. But if they're just reaching out to you organically, they found you on Google, they found, you know, some content that you wrote, whatever it might be, you're basically starting from zero and you need to be able to come at the conversation in a way that is building that trust, not being too assertive, but also understanding that we have this process and this is how we work. And I feel like it's just a level of professionalism that kind of comes with it. But being one of the things that's also really important to me when we're doing these lead calls and kind of goes back to the, the dream client kind of situation is mutual respect. And if you're showing that respect, you're doing by, by doing some research ahead of time on the company, like you did for talking to me today, <laughs> you're, you're going in with, you know, some level of knowledge of their, of their company. And it really goes to show that you truly care about the success of their business and coming in with some, not, you know, you're going to be listening to their pain points, but quite often uh, leads. And we all know this, if you're doing any kind of lead call, quite often leads come in saying, I need X, Y, and Z. And it's your job to say why it's your job to figure out what is the purpose for doing these? What is the end goal as well? And it could very well be, I mean, we've all seen it plenty of times that they think they need X, Y, and Z, but they really need A, B, and C to achieve the goals that they're looking for. Or maybe they're like completely off base and they need to start, you know, completely, you know, completely different direction. Totally. I think you you touched on a really interesting point about your kind of like uh, eclectic background. And I find that being a bit of a chameleon is like really helpful in those environments, because if you can find a common ground with someone like that, I find is a really good rapport building element. And I I, I certainly find that for for the, the team that I run, like having a very team where you can kind of slot them in where you think that they're going to like have a, a sense of commonality with the client, uh, whether it be by their, their, their professional or personal background or whatever it is, or something that they're interested in. And that's a really nice way to start building that. And then, yeah, I mean, that's ultimately what they're, that the clients want to pay for most of the time, right? Like the ones that you want to work with where they do want that expert advice, where it's not just a uh, a kind of delivery shop, you know, that's what they exactly. want in those sorts of meetings is like, Hey, come to me with ideas. Tell me what we're doing wrong. Tell us where we can go. Um, yeah. So and I will say there's nothing wrong with being a delivery shop if that's what you want to do, but there's a, it's an important distinction that you need to make early on and decide how you want to run your business, how you want to build your agency. If you're not wanting to just do the delivery work, it does require extra work on your end to make sure you're getting that across crystal clear to the leads absolutely and that, that's it there's no there's no like it's so long as the expectations are matched right whatever the services that you're offering as long as it's you know the, there's alignment on the expectation of what the client wants and what you can provide then you know it's the good foundation i think of, of, of a good relationship um so i suppose i'm the client piece is obviously we could talk for ages on that but I, i'm keen to kind of explore some other kind of concepts so um You've been running for over three, well, over three years, you've been running more than that since your first engagement when you were, what did you say, 14 or 16? 14. 14. Yeah. So I suppose to take maybe more the more recent experience, like what what's changed since you started the tap room or when you were kind of like had had the, the business under your own name and you rebranded, like what's changed in that time? The biggest thing that's changed is our pricing. 
we are charging more money now. And it used to be that I was, you know, the level of anxiety that comes from sending a, a big proposal out to a client that you really, really want. And I'm like, oh man, I'm sending my first proposal of $5,000 and oh, I'm sending my first proposal of $10,000. And, you know, obviously as you, as you grow and as you scale, you, you should theoretically be charging more, but most importantly, as you build a team, your overhead gets more expensive and you have mm -hmm. to somehow pay them. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of been one of the biggest things that's changed. Also, being the freelancer doing these builds versus running a company means that I am no longer running. I'm no longer doing a lot of the development work. That's something that I've had to really step back on so I can focus on both running the business and growing the business and trusting that my team is going to be able to take things and run with it. It's It was a really interesting shift to go from knowing every single thing that's going on with the company to seeing meetings kind of pop up on my calendar from our project manager that she's having with other people that I have zero information about. And most recently, uh, I'm, we are a pretty flat organization, but I finally added one middle, like middle layer in there. And our lead developer now has two direct reports. So again, it's one of those things where I don't know literally everything that's going on with them. Cause I'm not having weekly calls with them. Like I do my weekly one-on-ones with my, my direct reports. So it's a very, it's a very, that's been one of the, the biggest things is, uh, learning to kind of let go, trust the process and understand that, you know, if an issue will, if, if an issue arises, it will come to me hopefully earlier. Rather than, <laughs> yeah. you know, hopefully solved, right? Like they <laughs> solved yes. and it's just a note like, Hey, this thing happened. We've solved it. You know? Yeah, of course. I yeah. do world. I I'm key. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like, did like, what were your first thoughts? I suppose, firstly on when you got that first big sale, what did you feel like? And then secondly, when you did have to kind of relinquish a bit of that control, what was your immediate thought? Was it hard? Was it easy? Um, I feel like I, I prepared myself well for relinquishing that control. I'm a, a, a part of it again is my educational background, but also I spent a lot of time reading management and business books since I don't mm -hmm. have an MBA yep. or any kind of management degree of sorts. And so I had to, I had to learn on the fly. And one of the things that really helped me with relinquishing that control is opening up the door to be like, if there is an issue, if I am doing something wrong, that's making your job more difficult because I'm overstepping, please tell me. And my team has been really good about letting me know when I'm, when they're like, Hey, I have this handled. You don't need to do anything. And then I'm, I know that I can step away. Um, in terms of signing on like larger and larger projects is I think it, it's, it's, it's kind of strange. I guess it's not that really that strange whenever we sign on like our largest project yet or our biggest, like a big name client or whatever. I'm like, okay, now what can we do next? Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's yeah. just a constant forward trajectory that I'm always, I'm always looking at what next, what next, what next. It's kind of a, uh, there's a negative side to it as well, because it means that I don't take time to like pause and just enjoy the moment but something I'm still working on. Yeah. Well, look, we, we all need foibles, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think, yeah, that, 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 I, I reckon that's a very interesting point. And I would say that it's inherent in the agency model and, and hence why I wanted to do this podcast because it is such a, a, a unique uh, type of business. And I feel that there is that uh, elation you get from getting the big one. And it's like, oh, when's the next big one coming or exactly. oh, we've, we did that well if we can do that we can do that. like it, it never really stops i suppose i don't know i mean i suppose you know like 
the WPPs of the world and those huge global conglomerate type agencies, you know, probably hit the ceiling of whatever ceiling there might be. But I suppose, <laughs> you know, f for us, uh, you know, in, in our world, that there is always the, the, the bigger fish. Yeah. And there's always going to be that bigger client. There's always going to be that more complex project. There's always going to be just a generally more expensive project. And imposter syndrome is something that I've battled all of all of my career. And it, it's still, and that's something I'm, I'm actively working on. Like when, you know, a large, I'm not going to name any brands, but a large brand comes to us and like, we're really interested in working with you. I'm like, what about me makes you say like, yes, I want to trust your business yeah. with yeah. me. And, in, in, and the other thing is that when, when these multi-million dollar companies are like, so Kelly, tell me what I need to do to run my business better. I'm like, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, how do I know this? And you're literally trusting this multi-million dollar business and you're putting it in my hands to decide what to do next. So it's a, it's a bit of a surreal feeling, but definitely imposter syndrome is something that I'm constantly battling about my own decisions and growth. And do you, do you find it's gotten better over those or, you know, diminished over those last three years? It has presented itself in different ways. <laughs> Let's just mm. put it that way. What used to concern me before no longer concerns me. But as we continue to move up market, I'm just facing new challenges. Mm. I, yeah. Okay. I suppose. Yeah. Again, classic uh, sort of. Uh, uh, environment of the, the agency model, right? You move on to the next, you, you think we've got it, you got it sorted, everything's done, you go up to the next big client and then it's just a new uh, like realm of, of different things to consider, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. It's, it's always something new around the corner. And that's why, honestly, that's what I love about the, the agency life is that you're never really doing the same thing multiple times. Exactly. And, 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 and I mean, that's the exciting bit, right? That's, that's the, the thing that I reckon that's the thing that when people who have not been agency side think about, you know, when they think the whole, oh, everyone's in the office and the agency model and, you know, like scrambling around for the big client, like that's it, right? That That is that that moment, w which is kind of true where you're kind of like going to that next big thing and it's just all hands on deck. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's part of the thing that's just interesting as, you know, as we uh, were about to turn three, just looking back at what I considered success even a year ago and looking at where I am now is it's, it takes, you really have to be intentional about, about celebrating your wins and, and celebrating the growth that you've had over the past year, because I have other goals that I've set for this year that I'm not going to hit thanks to the pandemic and kind of throwing off my plans a little bit, but we still like, we've grown significantly since last year. And I really like, it's really important to take some time to, to, you know, catalog your wins really. So you can know where to go next. Absolutely. I think it's a, um, it, it's, it's one of, I don't know. I think there's a cultural thing there. I think this side of the pond, there's definitely a, um, a greater self-deprecation of individuals and oneself here compared to the North America, certainly because we've got a North American office and we, we kind of we understand that, but that's a real big thing. I reckon is like celebrate the wins, particularly now, you know, when there's so many challenges going on, like taking stock and it's so, it's so lovely to look back on your kind of successes or just the past, past information, whatever it is to see where you've been and, and, and where you are now. I find it's, it's, it's easy to, uh, avoid that kind of perspective and think about the here and the now and the problems that you need to solve. Exactly. And I think it's really important to share those wins with the team because if 
like they didn't, it, it was not you that reached those wins. It was your team, the result of your team working together or you working with your team to actually accomplish what you accomplished. So it's important to, to give credit where credit's due as well. So you mentioned it before as being one of the things that's changed over the last few years. You've gone from doing everything to running the team and, and, and it's a very different way of working. But given your kind of background as being a developer, like do you think that's a, an essential skill if one was to start an agency and I suppose uh, more specifically a Shopify agency? It's not it, It's not an essential skill, but it, there is definitely value to having some baseline knowledge of development. And I'm not saying like you need to know how to build a headless storefront or anything of the sort, but understanding the technical side really benefits us when we go into lead calls because I can wear both the business hat and the technical hat at yep. the same time and, and understand when a client or when a lead is asking for something, knowing whether it's technically possible right off the bat is really helpful. I suppose that then that gets back to that kind of building rapport and trust and, you know, relationship building. If you can answer that thing confidently and accurately on the fly, then exactly. that's going to help you out, right? That's right. And if you don't have, if, if you're not a developer, and I, I assume that most agency owners are not developers, have a, have a development representative from your team or somebody on your team represent the development side of things to be able to answer those technical questions. Having, having that presence on the call is, again, it's a trust builder, as you mentioned, for, for the clients that they're going to appreciate being able to have their questions answered. Yeah, I, 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 I'm quite confident that 99% of the questions saying, I'm going to get back to you on that is not going to leave them with the, the, the best impression. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I'm keen to sort of like think a little bit more broadly about the, the tap room and, and like how you, you, you're just approaching the kind of the e-com ecosystem and space. And I know you've got your own, I'm, this is one podcaster to another uh, <laughs> chatting here. And I know you've got your, your you, you had a, a previous podcast and now you, you've got Commerce T. Um, like how important do you think that is to an agency or is that more of a, like a personal brand thing for you or is it both? It's both. So the other podcast that I do is called Ladybug Podcast. The commerce related podcast I do is called Commerce Tea. And there's, there's definitely a level of, of both. It's, there's only so much you can do as the, as the business owner, as the agency owner, just based on your level of expertise. But one of the things you can absolutely always do is generate content. And this helps get like, I, we get leads just because they listen to an episode of our, our podcast. I've even gotten leads from people who listen to one single episode on Shopify from the ladybug podcast. And just being able to show your, show your expertise, show, you know, really what you know that you are an, you are literally an expert in this area will bring it starts to build that trust before a lead even reaches out to you so the rest of it is a bit of a more personal brand just something that i like to do um i think it's really important as anybody wants to grow in their career is to share what they know and that's what this podcast really is. So we're talking with merchants who are who have gotten to a certain point in their in their business and they're sharing their story. But also we have episodes with just me and my uh, my co-host Rian, um, just talking about our you know certain topics that we know a lot about, like SEO and prepping for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and how to optimize your product display page and things like that. So we can kind of share that knowledge to people who or to merchants who maybe can't afford. Our, our service offering at the moment, but they can still benefit from our knowledge in some way. Yeah. That, so 
to take a slightly uh, uh, a slight sidestep, and I didn't. We've managed to actually go most of the podcast without mentioning COVID. I know we kind of slipped it in there ever so slightly <laughs> about five minutes ago, but it is an elephant in the room that is there, and and not to 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 to, uh, uh, to dwell on it too much, but generally speaking, the world has changed dramatically. So like from your perspective and what you're seeing at the tap room and speaking to clients, like do you think the world of direct consumer has changed or have we just accelerated? I think the vast majority of what we've done is accelerated. And I think we're feeling the growing pains of that acceleration. Not so much on the on what you can do with selling, because obviously uh, Shopify released a lot of really new features that help businesses who are previously solely brick and mortar start selling direct to consumer online. Um, but mostly in terms of like logistics, for example, in and understanding, like learning a like finding a new way to talk to your customers and keep them abreast of of what's happening in the world. Everyone knows that there's a pandemic, but not everybody knows how shipping times and fulfillment times are being impacted. And so I think that's been one of the biggest challenges for, for us in talking to our, our clients about being clear with your, your messaging on, on timing of shipping things and, and your customer support and how to respond to those inquiries. One of the other big things is the fact that uh, people are a little more on edge. Everyone's tired of being at home, especially mm. since I know you just had to lock down again. That's the last thing anybody wanted to do. But it's it's easing like easing into those situations is really important especially when people are already you know tempted to 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 blow up at any given time uh, out of frustration so you mentioned some some great tips for some 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 brands there and i know you've worked with a bunch of of, of great companies so and you're in a unique position so from your experience what do you think makes a successful brand Hmm. Where do I begin? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we are uh, 31 minutes in, so we've probably not got that long. We're going to close <laughs> it out in probably about 10. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I think transparency is really, really important um, as, as you, especially given who is shopping online um, and who your target customer base is. People want to know who they're buying from. They want to know where the products are made and sourced. They want to know that you're using, you know, um, eco-friendly methods for shipping and packing and things like that. Um, they want to know when they're going to receive their items. They want to know that they're not going to be uh, arriving too late for a certain event, whatever it might be. So transparency is really key there. Uh, consistent communication, consistent brand messaging is really important from your website to social media, to uh, your email marketing, to any any avenue where you're communicating with your with your customers um making sure you are offering a, it's, it's i'm trying to figure out how to best phrase this people are buying different things and i think that we've kind of seen certain uh certain verticals be more successful this year than mm -hmm. others because mm -hmm. of the pandemic mm -hmm. and one of the really important things for brands now, especially since we don't know what's going to be happening going into uh, Q1 2021 is being agile and being quick on your feet and being able to pivot what you're doing to make sure that you are serving your customers the best way that, for what they need, but also being able to keep your business open. And we've seen so many businesses close this year 
Yeah. And I mean, there are some fascinating and of course, incredibly challenging stories, but I, I, I spoke to, uh, um, a client of ours yesterday on a webinar, Priya from a brand called Nudea. And um, she had kind of foreseen stuff happening because um, she's, I think that they've got a place in Italy. So she kind of saw what was going on in Europe and was like, oh, this is going to be really bad in the UK. And she had the foresight because she's a direct consumer brand and was worried about the kind of logistic and, and warehouse situation if COVID hit. And she got all of her lingerie from the warehouse and brought it to her own house, filled <laughs> up her house with all of her stock. And it was, it was a, it was an inspired move. Like it was, you know, like, I mean, it, it, it was totally, she couldn't have foreseen it. And it wasn't like she had like this crystal ball, but I think that that kind of thinking that like on the fly pivot, quick thinking like, okay, we're just going to make this decision. And, you know, um, fortunately it went the right way with them. And I, and I think that that, that, that yeah. is a key learning from this kind of environment that we have at the moment. Exactly. So, and it's something that, that plays into everything that we're going to be doing from here on out. I mean, Black Friday, Cyber Monday is a very different landscape this year because it's not literally Black Friday and Cyber Monday. We're looking at a much longer term holiday sales season this year. And this is the perfect opportunity to utilize the skills that you've been building for being quick on your feet and being able to pivot as you need. Absolutely. So I, I'm keen to sort of draw it towards a close. And, and I, like, I think we've, we've explored some, like a bit of a 360 view of the agency model, right? How you started the, the kind of challenges and like what, 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 what's gone on in the last few years. And then kind of a little bit about the market and, and kind of brands, but like from your perspective, what, what's the best thing about running an agency and what, what's the biggest challenge or challenges? One of the best things about running an agency is getting to know the brands. I think that's been that's been one of the really exciting things. I'm I'm very passionate about entrepreneurship in general. I've always been an entrepreneur in some form, and and now my friends joke that I collect LLCs because I just keep on starting new businesses. And in, <laughs> in in seeing that that passion, do you have that on your LinkedIn profile, like LLC I collector or I something do. like that? I yes. have like collector yeah. of degrees yeah. in LLCs. Yeah, yeah. got yeah. that. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, like seeing that passion, seeing that drive in somebody else's business and seeing them succeed in what they're doing is is really what keeps me going as far as running this agency goes and it's it's something that i don't want to lose as we continue to go up market because the way that you work with a smaller mom and pop shop is going to be very different from working with a multi-million dollar business but there's still like th that that entrepreneurial that entrepreneurial drive is still something i look for in those larger you know mid, you know, larger small business to mid-level businesses as they continue to scale. And that's something I don't want to, I don't want to lose. I think the challenges of running an agency, I think the one that we're all very, very familiar with is just the ebbs and flows of business mm -hmm. and anything that can kind of disrupt your typical business operations in terms of like, oh, let's throw a pandemic in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> as just, if it wasn't hard enough yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly, chuck, a, exactly. chuck, a, chuck a pandemic in there yeah yeah and in just you know making sure you know uh for for something that's been challenging for me is just making sure i'm timing our hires correctly and and not jumping the gun on bringing on new people because i foresee us having new work but also timing it so that i'm not waiting until too late to bring on new employees when we already have the work and then we're scrambling to get things done on time. So I think that's just a delicate balance that continues to, uh, that we're continuing to learn to work within 
as we, as we grow again, we're still young. So we have plenty to learn from still. Yeah. That's super insightful. Right. I'm, I'm going to close it out. And my final question is really like, what's next on the horizon for you guys? Where, where, what does 2021 hold and beyond? Ooh, that is a really good question. You know, it's funny because somebody asked me that literally an hour ago as well. <laughs> and I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I want to continue to to grow the tap room. I, I'm, I'm kind of hitting pause on hiring until we absolutely need more people. Um, I want to continue to take on more complex projects and, and bring on new, new work that's going to both challenge and excite our team, um, fun brands to work with, things like that. We're getting deeper into the headless space as well. So we're, that kind of falls right in line with taking on more challenging, more complex projects to just to keep things interesting. So in, in, as a direct result of, of making these changes and pivoting who we're, who we're really targeting to bring on, um, it's going to, uh, continue to grow the tap room at the same time. Um, my other goal, which hopefully is not going to take until Q1 2021 is relaunch our website, which has been in progress for over a year now. Isn't that funny? Agencies always, we're, we're literally about to do the same thing. It's like, I don't know. It's just the classic thing. You're so busy on other people's sites that, you know, yours becomes priority. Exactly. Seven. Yeah. I finally decided to just work it into my, my dev team schedule to just be like, all right, this is part, consider this a client project. Yes. I am the client. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, there you go. I, I, I tell you what, I'm, uh, I, I, I am going to make you a, a pact here. And when I do the agency side series two, I will get you back on and we will see how you're tracking in 2021. Awesome. I love that. Thanks again for having me on here. I, I love the focus problem. of this podcast and it's, it's a really, really great idea. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, yeah, that was great. There you have it. A massive thank you to Kelly for being my first guest in this new series. I'd highly recommend you go check out The Tap Room at thetaproom.com and go listen to Kelly's podcast. They are Ladybug Podcast and Commerce Tea, and you'll find them on all podcast apps and platforms. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And yeah, if you like this series and the podcast, like, subscribe, download, and tell your best friend to do exactly the same. I will see you next time. I hope you're taking notes to the dome.